for August 24th, 2009. It's the Overthinking It Podcast, episode 60, IRL. Overthinking a podcast where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. From the edge of America, from the best coast, I am your host on the best coast, uh, Matthew Rather. <laughs> and uh, there on the least coast are the other three guys. Uh, we have a lot of exciting stuff on the show, including the online dating spectacular featuring our next audition from a woman, a bona fide woman. Uh, because, you know, we put out the call uh, for ladies to be on the podcast. So we will be back with Tracy from Chicago. She'll be on the show later. Uh, in the meantime, the question for the panel tonight is, in honor of Quentin Tarantino's Inglorious Bastards, which opened wide in the United States this weekend and actually uh, took the top box office spot by a margin of like $15 million or something like that, uh, if you were to kill someone... What unrelated topic would you offer a long and rambling disquisition on before you actually <laughs> did the deed? <laughs> what would it be? Now, we are honored tonight to have an occasional podcast host, which screws up the whole alphabetical order of the thing. I'm sorry about this, Pete. But first in the uh, alphabet... Not again! Pete Smash! <laughs> from beautiful, picturesque East Harlem, Manhattan, New York, New York, it's America... Like a postcard. North America, Northern Hemisphere, the world, the solar system, the universe, one of many... Uh, it is the one and only Mr. Matthew Belinky. Hey, glad to be here, guys. I'm glad that you are here. What do you want to talk about when you're about to kill me? You know, I actually uh, once briefly attempted to write a novella dramatizing uh, the video game Contra, where you are either the red pants guy or the blue pants guy, and you're dropped into the jungle, and you have to defeat the vile red falcon before you could consider yourself a hero. And... I always thought like the opening speech was pretty cool. Uh, it was like the, the two characters are sitting in the helicopter and they're waiting to be dropped out of the jungle and they know each other only as blue pants and red pants. So blue pants says to red pants is like, do you know what contra means? You know, blue pants? It's Latin. It means against. But the interesting thing is it's usually used as a prefix. You, you are against something, but we are merely just contras. We're against everything. <laughs> Something like that. I think, was, I think it was more beautiful when I wrote it, but it was like he was sort of mulling over the nature of like their job, which was like these ultimate super soldiers, you know, badasses. Um, and I don't know. I thought it would be a cool thing to talk about before you kill someone. <laughs> Assuming you were a contra, otherwise it wouldn't make any sense. So I guess I'll, I'll talk about video games before I kill someone. Is the you know, in France they call it a, a contra with cheese. <laughs> oh, Tarantino. Are you there, Matthew Rather, host of the podcast? No, I'm here. Sorry. Oh, I had my I had my uh, I had my mute button on. Sorry. I was oh. actually I was actually talking. 
I was hosting the show with no one listening. <laughs> it actually uh, went on okay for <laughs> Yeah, no. It's well, hey, it went on okay uh last week as well without me, and that's that's a little depressing to me. But let's move on to Peter Fenzel. Uh there in Cambridgeport Woo! from the basement. The city so mediocre they named it once. Cambridgeport, Massachusetts. Are you? Uh, are uh, you most cities you, are only named once. Don't be too hard true. on yourself. The did city you, so in the fat part of the bell curve that it has a different name than its state. What? Do you? Um, <laughs> do you now live in the basement? Did you move to the basement? I did move down to the basement. Yes, I live in the basement now. I have a dehumidifier. I'll turn on after the podcast is over to keep <laughs> it from getting dank. Well, thank you. Yeah, I'm. I'm sorry that you have to sit there in the dank while we're recording. Well, I mean, I have to sit here in the dank for a number of hours after we're done recording as well, because it's where I sleep. I guess so. but, you, will uh, have the, you will have the uh, dehumidifier on, though, too. Uh... That's true. That's very true. That's very true. The ladies love it when it's not dank. Um, but as entertaining as dehumidification would be as that topic, would that, that, would be, actually be, would that be your one. topic? No, no, no. I think, I, I think I'd be sitting there, like, across the table, you know, holding the gun there. I'd be, like, looking at a newspaper, and I'd be like, you know, um, you know... When someone's going to write with long words, it really makes you think that they should go to left justification. Because if you full justify a sentence with long words, you end up with these long gaps between (laughs) words. And the typeface can't handle it. People wonder about newspapers and the health of newspapers, and I'll tell you the form and function, and it would be a long discourse on like the form and function <laughs> of uh, full versus left justification, um, which would in turn speak to the justification for this murder and the spaces between human beings. Um, and also, I don't really eat cheeseburgers that often anymore because um, I've been trying to lose weight, so I wouldn't have that topic to talk about. <laughs> you, could also, you could also mention as part of the metaphor that like the longer the lines are, the less justification matters. And that, yes, like, you know, that, like, yeah, that yeah. if the page is if, if the page is wide enough, it doesn't. You don't even need justification. No, that's true. Everything evens out if you're given a lot of time, but not all of us are given a lot of inches on the columns of life. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so that that's probably what I would go with, just from my current experience right now. Although I could just as easily talk about like canteen and water bottle design. See, now um, imagine I- he was like a Batman villain that like you worked for like the Gotham Press and you went insane and were like dipped into a vat of ink and like all you, like you know like like basically you use like a lot of like copy setting metaphors about like kerning. And- <laughs> but that's the thing. The thing about Quentin Tarantino movies is that you don't talk about what you're doing. So if you're the Riddler and you're talking about riddles, then you're talking about what you're doing, even if what you're sort of doing is also killing Batman, right? But if the Riddler goes out there and he's and he's talking about pipe settings for like plumbing in his kitchen, like that would be Tarantino. Be like, you know, I tried to fix my sink once, Batman. You know, and I had to pick different sizes <laughs> of pipes, and and you know, you try to pick different sides of pipes. I mean, I like to laugh at things, but this is serious stuff. You have to pay attention. You know, like, I would love to see Quentin direct a Batman movie. <laughs> it's just like it's like the first fifteen minutes is like Batman and Robin jump kicking people, and then like the middle is like an hour and a half retrospective on the life of Alfred, and then like at the end, they <laughs> <laughs> and Samuel Jackson would like play some sort of a role. I don't know what it is. He'd be oh, commissioner. He would be Commissioner Gordon. Would he be like the random Irish cop? That Commissioner Gordon has to send and go do things. It's like revealed. <laughs> oh man! Moving on to Mr. Mark Lee. Hey, thanks for hosting last week. It was my pleasure. Um, I'm still a little hungover from being drunk with power of uh, the hosting power. 
But um, you know, you I'm say, back. You I'm know, you back always, you always say here. that, but you wield it so so wisely. You are like a benevolent dictator. Yeah, I don't know how how I would have drunk the power. I would have indulged in it. Wow, so you're you're cutting in and like out. You got to stop downloading. You got to stop downloading your your you know pirated movies, Mark. You gotta you gotta get off the file sharing. Ah, uh, yes. I'm a and we might be losing Mark. Uh, Mark, we're going to give you one more, <laughs> one more try. Uh, are you back? Hello. Yeah. Hey, Mark. Okay, can you hear me? Yeah, we're we're okay. Good. Okay. Yeah. So my my long. And he's, we he's just <laughs> we just lost Mark. I suppose I have to go on. I wasn't expecting to go. I might give a long disquisition on uh, you know common grammatical mistakes. <laughs> like like what? Oh, you know, uh, I don't know the the use of uh, the use of the subjunctive. That's what it would be. It would be a a peen for the the use of the subjunctive. Uh, which is going out of our speech, but which is a a useful distinction still to uh, still to maintain. Matt, are you so imagining you- that you're killing this guy because of his misuse of the English language? Uh, I might I might kill him because of his misuse of the English language, but also probably because he you know I don't know he killed my family or something like that. Would it start with you being like, if I were to shoot you? If I were to shoot you, <laughs> most people would say that I w- was to shoot you. Yeah. <laughs> And you know we've lost a certain civilization or civilized air to that right, particular exactly. action. If I it suppose. if it be your yeah. fate to be shot by me right now, you know, <laughs> <laughs> if that if that be your fate, why then uh, mm-hmm. it it were far better that you took it like a man. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm you'll strike we... down with furious anger and all that other sort of stuff. <laughs> and then you start playing some sort of obscure music so you could feel smart about yourself. And you you know <laughs> that were my name the Lord, I would lay my vengeance upon <laughs> me. <laughs> hey, Mark, I, I recognize that laugh. Are you back? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I, uh, I stopped doubting, downloading the, uh, you know, the, the Quentin Tarantino uh, outtakes collection. <laughs> did you did you change microphones? Your your mic is totally different now. Your mic is totally different. Yeah. Oh well. That's craziness. But what is your um? What uh? What's what's your topic? What do you want to talk about? Like audio settings or uh, the electric guitar? You know, I, I feel like I'd be I, you know I'd be facing this guy down. He'd be squirming. I'd be pointing his gun at him. I'd, I'd pull up my iPhone and I'd start talking about the relative merits versus you know capacitive and resistive touchscreens and virtual versus real keyboards and uh, this whole idea of a um you know of of a, of, a, of an operating system of an oper- of a mobile ecosystem right and really that these you know electronic devices you know play into our lives and i really can't quite find a way to make a metaphor of that about how it's going to tie into killing somebody yeah. but I, that's just such an appropriate you know topic uh that that people just you know will will, will banter about for Seemingly unendless thing. Would be well, very look, don't you think that the, the capacitive touchscreen is far superior to the resistive touchscreen? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, resistive touchscreens. I mean, it's just uh, you know, it's like this old technology that, like, you know, Windows Windows Mobile six point five is still relying on, and um, and basically it means I'm going to kill you now. Windows Mobile. Who does uh, who does that anymore? You know, isn't it all about isn't it all about the uh, the Palm OS or Web OS? Or you know the Apple iPhone OS. 
that's what I that's what I hear these days. <laughs> I use Android. I don't know about you guys, but I use Android OS. Yeah, because uh, yeah. I like I right. like Lieutenant Commander Data. Just he's an Android, um, and also because I have a G1 because I'm a T-Mobile customer. So very exciting. Yeah, <laughs> exciting <laughs> it's stuff. Like a robot. Yeah, you know, Android's well, like robots, but like people. If you want to, uh, if you want to regale us with your own irrelevant disquisition on uh, on a topic, though I hope it doesn't mean that that you're going to kill us. You, you are the fifth podcaster. You can uh, call us at twenty eat log zero one. That's two eight three two eight five six four zero one. You can uh, email us at podcastedoverthinkingit.com. You can use the contact form on the website or leave a comment on the show notes because we want to be accessible to you. Hey, uh, the next episode is probably going to be a listener feedback episode because we haven't done one of those in a while and we have a lot of stuff, good stuff, building up, uh, voicemails and emails that we want to talk about. So if you have any comments, uh, especially on what you hear today, um, you should get them in now while the getting's good because we will be... Uh, we will be playing the voicemails and reading the emails on the next show. That's podcast at overthinkingit.com or 20 eat log zero one two zero three two eight five six four zero one. Well, that was our Tarantino uh, opening question and Tarantino opened uh, Inglorious Bastards uh, was uh, it opened wide in the US today. Pete, you saw it, didn't you? Yes. Wait. I just got back from seeing I mean, what we don't uh, we don't necessarily do a lot of reviews, but uh, is there a lot to overthink uh, in this movie? Oh yeah, well it's it's a very it's a very cerebral movie. It's um, it, I mean, it loses steam in terms of pacing and around the middle, and it's <laughs> well, yeah, no, I mean, you you've seen the previews, man. You you makes you it makes you think that the movie is about a band of elite soldiers led by Brad Pitt to go kill Nazis in Nazi-occupied France, right? Nazi. That, it's yeah, Nazi. Nazi. I'm a giant nerd. I've actually seen the original Inglorious Bastards from the 70s, uh, which is like a straight up sort of like shoot 'em up beyond enemy lines type movie. I sort of guess because it's Tarantino that this is not a full out action film, but it's still, I'm still sort of disappointed that like, you know, it, it's here you describe it as cerebral. I mean, the poster is Brad Pitt on top of a giant stack of dead Nazis. I mean, I, I would say that Brad Pitt isn't even in the top like four characters in the movie. Um, yeah. The movie is the movie is actually about the premiere of a Nazi propaganda film at a small cinema in Nazi occupied France, and like the events and lives of the people who end up converging on it at the end of the movie. I think that there's each of the characters that is a, a sort of ass kicking character, so to speak, has maybe like one or two moments over the course of the movie, but the moments are meant as sort of suggestions of what these characters are doing in the background while you're watching like a random, you know, sort of love story, um, or when you're watching like, uh, you know, some, somebody, it's like Hitler talk, you know, or watching. There's a, there's an absolutely hilarious scene with Mike Myers in it as a sort of, uh, sort of leader of the general of the British army uh, in a room with Winston Churchill, which is very funny. Um, but yeah, no, it isn't an action movie. Not any, any stretch of the imagination. It's gory. There's a lot of guns and shooting and like people getting their, their scalps chopped off. Um, but I would say that first and foremost, it's like a sort of political message movie. Um, about like the Holocaust and about 20th century cinema and like the use of the cinema to control like state related things and uh, the sort of legacy of Hollywood. It has a very, very strong, very specific message that I can't necessarily reveal without spoiling the end of the movie. But like 
it's it gets really 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 meta at the end of the movie like ridiculously meta um and uh and it goes in and out of levels of meta over the course of the movie as well it's interesting that you really you jump to that uh, idea that it you know it's, it's got this kind of message to it i think one of the main criticisms about this movie is that because it it treats there's a lot of farcical elements to the way it treats nazism and the Holocaust, you can't take it seriously. It's like, I think the New Yorker says, like, to call it nihilism is giving it too much credit because it's just so silly. And, and I mean, uh, as, as is often and, the case, the New Yorker is wrong. That's not what the right. movie's about. Uh, the New Yorker has a, a lack of sort of a, um, imagination when it comes to trying to figure out what movies are about. And if it doesn't fit their idea about what the movie ought to be ahead of time, they tend to dismiss the movie. Um, and, of course, a great deal of flowery praise. But, no, it's pretty clear what the movie is about. The movie is like a play on cinematic ritual. Um, and talks and it's talking about the sort of repeated tropes of, of certain kinds of specific movies. It, it talks about um, primarily spaghetti westerns um, and also what the subgenre of macaroni combat films. Um, you know, to World War II combat movies, their iconography, their symbolism, and what they mean in the context of a, the generation that comes after the World War II generation. Like, what does it mean to us? Um, like, there are certain events that happen in the movie that um, diverge far enough from history that they it asks you straight up to to accept the message of the movie as a movie independently of what it represents historically. Now, of course, if you are the kind of person who thinks that something can't be funny, can't be funny and also have a message, then I mean you're just sort of a joyless bastard, and I can't understand why you would make a living as a critic because you know you're you're incorrect. But, uh, you're, but and, I mean, and, and if there's a worse thing to be than an inglorious bastard, it's a joyless one. Yeah, that's very true. I mean, I, I think there are parts of it that are really, really funny, and there are parts of it that are totally bonkers and like jump totally outside of genre. But their main function is to remind you that this is a movie that is made made by Quentin Tarantino that you are sitting in a theater watching whatever year you're watching it in, although the year 2009 is spelled out in Roman numerals at the beginning of the movie. So it's pretty clearly identified when the movie is made. Um, Wait, the year yeah, 2009 no, yeah. is spelled out in Roman numerals? Yes, it has a very old-timey credit sequence, and at the beginning, it, it makes up like it says like Cinema Romantico, copyright like you know M M I X, and so like this is a movie that was this is an old movie that was made in two thousand nine. This guy um, gets on my nerves. He really does. I, mean, like, yeah. I, I respect what Quentin Tarantino does. I enjoy a tremendous amount of what he does. I also kind of want to punch him. Yeah, I mean, there, to give you an idea, there are a number of European directors from the mid-20th century who are important off-screen characters in the dialogue in the middle of this movie. Um, so it, it goes in some weird directions. I mean, he punctuates it with some pretty vicious stuff, so it's still entertaining, and it's very funny at times. But um, it, it, the re- part of the reason it drags right, because, is that he's right, because, like, films. Why, why would a person enjoy obscure references to mid-20th century <laughs> European film directors? God, I'm sure there's no one on this podcast Podcast who likes that kind of thing? We all want to get. We all we all want to get to the part where the guy gets scalped or the guy's ear gets cut off or something like that. I mean, I don't want to be the guy who says that the movie is too cerebral because that's not the point, and I've defended people for doing that in the past. Or but being, I will say, or being, yeah, well, uh, or being too nihilistic. I mean, say what you will about the tenets I mean, of national I mean, socialism. Like, you could certainly come out and say that like it's been misleadingly advertised. There's always like a pet peeve of mine when like a movie is, you know, even though like you know you you should have known better going to a Quentin Tarantino movie that it's not an action thing. But the line in the trailer was, "You haven't seen war until you've seen it through the." eyes of quentin tarantino 
There aren't Which any is, battles in this movie. Right. <laughs> I feel like that's actually disrespectful to anyone yeah. who has actually seen war. <laughs> let, me, let me let me add to this. Let me add to this because I, I was um, looking through uh, through Twitter reactions to the Glorious Bastards to kind of get a read on what the the Twitterverse, the Vox Populi, is saying about this movie. And I was kind of disturbed because what I saw a lot of was um, this movie was awesome. This movie kicked ass. And my yes. immediate reaction was, "Wow, these people must have really missed the point of this movie." Because I don't think you come out of the movie with that reaction that was awesome and that it kicked ass. Is it I don't know. Like, it like, kicks a fair amount of ass. It was very enjoyable. It's not sobering. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know. It does. There are parts of it that kick a lot of ass. There are specific scenes where if you isolate those scenes and the ending scenes, like the very, very end of the movie, like kicks a fair amount of ass. Um, well, and I, again, I don't want to ki- spoil it. It depends on how we're finding kicking ass, though. Well, this is very right. true. And I wish that we could talk about what happens at the end of the movie so that we, we can really talk should not spoil it. We absolutely should not spoil it. But really should. Get, without spoiling it, though. Part one kicked ass, right? Wait, what kicked ass? Kill Bill Part one. Like, I came out of that, and I was like, that movie kicked a lot of ass. That's true. That's true. Yeah, both the and, Kill and, Bill movies kicked ass. And does, well, I, I'd say that the second one, partially because of the long speechifying before the fighting, sort of deflated itself by the end, in my opinion. But the point is, like, like do you come is – it, is it – this movie doesn't seem as fun as Kill Bill Volume 1. That's accurate. Okay, fair enough. And there are yeah. long – I mean, some of the reviews say that there are long stretches that are kind of slow, right, in this yeah. film. I that's disagree, correct. actually. I mean, like Tarantino is no, no. We were riffing on the beginning, obviously, with our, you know, long, the winded, long-winded conversation about random stuff, uh, you know, before you kill someone, kind of thing. But I thought the execution of all that was fantastic and really, you know, all served a dramatic purpose to move the move the movie forward. Again, without you know spoiling what exactly these things are. Um, I just will say that you should go and see it and, you know, expect to sit through some long conversations, but know that they take you somewhere. I want to be clear. Like when I'm talking about when we were joking about that stuff at the top of the show, when Tarantino has people talk about stuff other than what they're doing when they're having a scene, I think that leads to a lot of really terse, interesting, dramatic moments. I think it's good writing. Um, and I don't you know, necessarily I mean, think it means he's, he's a good writer. He is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's some great scenes. Uh, I think one of the actors in this movie won the Best Actor Award at Cannes. Um, and he, uh, if he's the guy, I think he is, the guy who plays the, the Jew hunter, uh, he's absolutely oh, yeah. phenomenal in this Yeah, he's really great in this movie. He has some wonderful, wonderful scenes. The it's first really scene straight in this up movie. sort of snadly wish whiplash type uh, villain. Who's no, just like, he's like a very, very... Cl- no, no, no. He's a very, very clever detective. He's like a very, very smart, very intimidating, very clever detective sort of guy who just like tears people apart while talking to them. And he's also like kind of like vain and funny and awkward in certain ways. So he's sort of like if you like transplanted a sort of weird continental sense of humor into like Anton Sugar from or whatever his name is from uh, from uh, uh, um, No Country for Old Men. Um, like he's always out there and he like l- relishes the deaths of his enemies, but like. You know, he's also and he's very smart and he's and he's relentless, but like he's also like kind of he's like an older guy and like he's a little bit vain and like a little bit kooky and he does weird stuff. So he's very fun to watch. So, um, what, yeah, what I actually want to ask you about is like what the movie in at least one shot in the trailer uh, seems to have Hitler as an actual character, the actual Hitler 
on screen, which is sort of like well, it's an like act. It's an actor playing Hitler. Yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> it's not it's the actual Hitler, but the actual a representation of the actual Hitler. And I feel like there's like a little bit of a taboo about that. I mean, there obviously have been movies about like Downfall, for instance, is all about Hitler, and it's been redubbed to be about pretty much anything. But that's like an art <laughs> film that's about Hitler treated seriously. This is a little more popcorny. And oh, yeah, well, I mean, again, again, we're getting into what happens at the end of the movie, which you can't really get into. But okay, like, okay. But, I, but I, yeah. what was your reaction or what was the audience reaction to Hitler showing up in the movie? Hitler's first appearance in the movie is awesome and hilarious because he shows – there's been like a – I think it, what is it, it's after a very, very different sort of scene. And I'm not sure exactly what scene it is. But all of a sudden it cuts immediately to Hitler in the middle of the frame wearing a giant red royal cape. In front of a giant map of Europe with like the Reich blazoned out in red, screaming like nine, nine, nine. And he's just like so incredibly over the top ridiculous. And while this is happening, he's having a meeting where he's really angry about what Brad Pitt is doing. And there is a guy on the far wall who is painting like a 40 foot tall portrait of Hitler in a giant <laughs> royal robe. <laughs> like, like. <laughs> All right, so he's like, like Dr. Claw, basically. Yeah, Hitler is sort of like Dr. Claw, except you see his face. He's, he's basically like they took Hitler and they like made him into a dramatic character. This is almost as if like it's a mythologizing of World War II. It's like um, – Oh, it's like if you told a new story of Hercules, right? And like, and Hercules got to fight the Hydra, and like the Hydra was helped out by Perseus, who was wearing the invisibility cloak, but was mind controlled. It's like so the, the character Hitler. Okay. Well, like, <laughs> well, like Hitler Goebbels is a major character, which is kind of really yeah. rare. Um, but they're not attempts at making historically accurate representations of these people. Um, the movie is very much about the histor- the representation of World War II on film and the effects that World War II had on the representation of historical events and Europe on film. And thus, like, the, the, the major leadership of the Nazi party are, like, people about which much is said, um, both sort of implied and directly. Um, but so yeah, Hitler. In the, yeah, let me let me yep. throw this out. Do you think that there's something? Is there a, a kind of moral failing in the way that we we can really romanticize characters like the Jew Hunter, where it's like, oh God, they're so they're so dynamic and they're irresistible, and you can't kind of take your eyes off them on the screen? Is this a movie that falls prey to that kind of uh, to that kind of thing? Uh, I would say no. Uh, I don't know. What do you think, Mark? No, I would, I would, I would agree with you, Fennel. I would say no, because just because the movie is so hyper uh, self-conscious in what it's doing, yeah. Um, and, maybe I'm yeah. giving Tarantino too much credit in thinking that you know he's such a deliberate filmmaker. Nothing he does really is by accident. And I think I'm, I'm, I can think I fairly, fairly confidently state that um, I think he's very well aware of all the effects of his portrayals of various, uh, you know. Um, you know the Nazis and the violence and all the all the various different acts of violence you see in the movie. I think they are they are very deliberately portrayed. How it's all supposed to add up at the end, though, is, is I'm still scratching my head. You know, after having seen it over 24 hours, about well, 24 hours ago, still scratching my head to try to add it all up. Um, but hopefully, yeah. I'll do that in an article which you'll see on the site yeah. later this week. I think what, one thing I will say is that it's very possible and in fact somewhat easy to make a sympathetic character whose lifestyle or deeds you do not endorse personally in, in like a particular piece of work. And I think the key to that is to do what Quentin Tarantino does, which is to have them talk about things other than what they do. Right. So like, think about when I was, when I was doing more scripted theater, one of the things that they would often say 
is that even if you're playing a serial killer, there should be something about which he has integrity so that he fe- seems like a real person. So, like, he's a serial killer, but say he won't hurt squirrels. And even if you never talk about squirrels in, in your performance, having that in the back of your mind will help keep your character from being, like, totally evil. Um, one of the things that Tarantino's movies do is that it's not like, oh, I'm showing off the human side of this character because there's that creates this false dialectic between, like, the inhuman, which are not people, and human, which are people. But no, people do a lot of bad stuff. And it's human to do really bad stuff, too. And it's the the question of humanity and inhumanity is is one sort of axis on which to view existence, but it's not the only one, right? So, like, when, when the Jew hunter sits down and is talking about, like, you know, um, what movies he likes or, like, what he likes to drink or, like, he talks about strudel for a long period of time at one point. Um, and the cream. Don't, don't, don't forget the cream. Don't forget the cream. Oh, yeah, like, there's a whole big deal at one point <laughs> of the a movie about, like, whether or not the whipped cream has come for the strudel yet because the Jew hunter has ordered strudel and, like, he doesn't want anyone to eat the strudel before they have a chance to have the whipped cream because the strudel, although it's not great, is, like, not terrible and it's, like, worth eating. Uh, so he, like, goes off on all this stuff. <laughs> Um, and like that's pretty much how the movie goes. He's like he's talking about all this stuff, and so you see this sympathetic side of him. But like compare him to somebody like say Anton Sugar. Anton Sugar is, if I'm pronouncing his last name correctly, um, or Churgin or whatever the heck. That's like the guy from Highlander. Is like the Kurgan. Um, <laughs> is uh, he I'd love never to see that fight? <laughs> Anton Sugar, like the Sugar versus the Kurgan, or the Highlander versus Anton Sugar, where he's like Either he has way, a mall. really, yeah, pretty much or Anton Sugar versus anyone. I'd <laughs> But, but basically, um, uh, Anton Sugar almost never talks about anything in that movie other than what he's about to do, right? Or, like, what he has done. Like, he just talks about murder, right? Like, like murder yeah, and, like, I mean, the implications of murder. He's like, he's like a of force of nature, and that's his role. Is like, he's yeah. like super... Or, he's, yeah. or a Terminator, if you were. Yes. I thought one of the failings of that movie, and one of the reasons I didn't like that movie, was that when the characters in the movie talked about stuff that was outside of the immediate plot action of the movie, it was often so far afield of what was happening in the movie that it, did, it didn't serve that purpose of balancing out what was happening in the movie that I would have liked it to have. Like, it might have been better for Tommy Lee Jones' character in No Country for Old Men if instead of talking about, like, strange dream sequences with his father, he had talked about, like, more mundane things, but given them the same characterization. Like, he could, talk, he could have talked about, like, his father's hat or his father's shoes or, like, you know, maybe one specific factual memory he had of his father and gotten the same point across as talking about this, like, crazy, I'm in, like, the afterlife in my dreams kind of idea of whatever. Right, my father's you know, waiting for me down the trip. You thought that was a little too on the nose? Well, it didn't serve the function that I thought it could have served. I think it works very well in what they're trying to do, which is make a sort of hollowed-out kind of movie where, like, there's this sort of wind blowing through it and this, like, sort of deafening echo of, like, you know, angst and, like, um, existential failure and, and all this sort of stuff. But, like, if you wanted to make it more of a drama and if you wanted to make it more sort of representational of people, um, one way you could have done it is you could have had him talk about it talk about the things he's really talking about while talking about things that like people can identify with in their regular lives. Um, yeah, kind of like a watch, yeah. you know, we're talking about the father, you know, talk like his father's watch and about yeah, his father's exactly. that was watch up his, uh, up his ass in Vietnam. Those are things that we can really relate to. <laughs> <laughs> like, like the Coen brothers, the Coen brothers, the Coen brothers do great when they do movies where it's like I can almost imagine like some guy like going off on a long tangent about how his father was a drug mule and put like drugs in a condom and stuck him up his butt and was like walking across the border with them. Like I could see some guy talking about that and having it be like a really deeply meaningful personal moment, and it would be hilarious. Like that's very very Coen brothers in a certain way, right? Like this sort of like. 
it's a deeply personal experience for you and it's believable for you, but it's like blown up to ridiculous proportions. In this particular, with Quentin Tarantino, he tends to go the other way, right? Which is that like, um, it's not like it's it's blown up. It's not for the for the viewer. It's meant to be identifiable and reasonable, right? But for the character, it's blown up out of all proportions, right? Like the like so in in a, in a Coen Brothers movie, the two characters are um, they're talking that they're talking about something sort of crazy, but really what they're talking about is bowling. Right, it's like they're they're really intense about what they're talking about, but they really care about their bowling league. In a Quentin Tarantino movie, they're talking about their bowling league, but they really mean like the deaths of all their families or something like really crazy. You know what I mean? Um, and the tension kind of cuts in different directions. But anyway, um, I don't think that this movie sentimentalizes people because it's also a movie about vengeance that takes a lot of pleasure in vengeance and exacting justice. And as such, like people don't tend to get away scot free in this sort of world. Sure, um, I, I'm not I mean, gonna, I, yeah. I think there's something about cinema though that rewards that rewards people for being like extremely visually arresting or sort of charismatic or dynamic in in particular ways without regard to that is sort of amoral right that just does not take that that kind of that moral character or whether this is a this is a person we we actually admire or not into account i mean i I think that that's a problem of human perspective Right, less a problem of a particular medium because it's just as present in things like poetry, prose, music. Um, you know, like when you hear a Little Wayne song and you really like it. Well, Little Wayne's a bad example because he actually, by all reports, is a good person. But like when R. Kelly is singing, you know, like uh, I don't know, I believe I can fly. It's difficult to reconcile that with the idea of him peeing on a thirteen-year-old girl or whatever. Right. You know, uh, like like so. So it's it's we uh, and of uh, course peeing, al- allegedly peeing on a thirteen-year-old girl. <laughs> so if Hitler were peeing on a 13-year-old girl. But no, I think that the problem of bad, charismatic people is like a human problem, and I think that trying to expunge it out of media is sort of what the Puritans were doing in like the 17th century in England, and it's sort of stayed in our culture since then through like the Victorian era. This idea that if we purify our representations of people, we can clear ourselves of the influence of things like charisma and attraction, and, and that like it's actually the representations of these things in art and entertainment that causes them to be problems. I sense sincerely doubt that because i'm sure there were a lot of sexy puritans who are bad people who like got by i mean even if we don't want to talk about bad people like ignatius loyola and like the early jesuits like capitalizing on the physical attractiveness of their recruits like that is immoral according to like a lot of evaluations right but like they were leveraging it for good is that like a good thing is that a bad thing i think what it's a recognition of is that we don't just talk in that particular epistemology and vocabulary. And like, we don't just talk in like moral terms and moral judgments, which is one of the big reasons why you should not fail to read a particular piece of work or fail to encounter a particular piece of work or deny it or refuse it because it says something you don't agree with. And which is why you shouldn't build curriculum to teach kids about the arts that are based around ideologies because that's not what the arts are about. But anyway, I'm, I've been ranting for like 25 minutes, so if anybody wants to jump in and say anything, I'll let's go for uh, it. Well, let's move on to let, to let uh, someone else rant. You know, This is also why you should read a whole online dating profile and not just look at the picture. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is, also, this is also why you shouldn't think if you're shallow. I'm sorry, one last thing. This is why you should put a picture in your profile. It is not like shallow for you to put a picture in your profile. Like Pictures matter. Like What you look like matters. You know what I mean? Oh, I mean, it, I don't want to be like totally shallow about it, but like it's part of who you are. It's part of how you're perceived. Um, all right, I'm, I'm going to step away and I'm going to let you guys talk about well, it. Well, let's uh, let's um, unless anyone wants to uh, 
to wrap up in glorious bastards, I feel like we have we've uh, killed it deader than uh, we've killed it deader than Hitler. I do want to ask Bill. one question to whoever wants to answer it, uh, Mark or Pete, which is how is Ryan from The Office? It's <laughs> such a small part on it. Um, really? I'm wondering though, if that's a little bit of a meta casting moment there going on because you know you associate is, a lot. Is of he an intern with... in the uh, in the war? <laughs> no, but he's referred to in like kind of disparagingly as small in stature, and he doesn't really do a lot either. Um, he's belittled by the by the main Nazi character as well. Yeah, <laughs> he's like I, the I, least I, of the <laughs> bastards. Yeah. yeah. Um, mm. The only last thing I have to say about it is definitely see it. And um, join us in the conversation on the site this week because there's so much to overthink about this movie, and I really want to just—I just want to have it out with all the listeners and all the readers on the site. Bring it on. And there, there is a good reason why the title is misspelled. That'll be made clear. Um, no, I was just reading—I was reading an interview um, with Tarantino that someone did with Tarantino, and he—he he wasn't revealing it. Other than just so that, that's not it, revealed in to an Italian movie called *Inglorious Bastards*, um, right. which is not misspelled there. So he didn't give a specific reason why, though. No, I mean I, I've seen the Italian movie *Inglorious Bastards*, so it's not. Ex- See, that's the kind of thing that annoys me about Tarantino. That like he, I feel like that's a little disrespectful to your audience if you misspell the title and like and like keep it as like a private joke to yourself just because you can. Well, I, Tarantino is so much about. Uh, you know, respecting the audience, and he's, if anything, he's more about private jokes for himself I and self making. But I mean, well, there's a difference between like a lot of obscure references and like actually making the title like a secret. That no, like "Oh Brother, We're Out There" is a pretty obscure reference. The title of that movie is a reference to the Preston Sturgis like 1946 movie, uh, Sullivan's Travels, in which the main character is a film director who wants to make a movie about the poor during the Great Depression, and he wants to call it "Oh Brother, We're Out There." And, but like, I mean, like mm. you, you could find that out. You could Google it, or like, you know, if you if you know a lot of like the references that the that the Coen Brothers love, you could figure it out. There's a big difference between that. And like misspelling the title on purpose and not and not revealing why because you like to be able to sort of giggle about it in interviews. Mm. Right. Anyway, and I'm, I'm recalling something else as well, too, which maybe it's a reference to Brad Pitt's kind of redneckish character. Which is that he just doesn't know how to spell stuff. I think so. Yeah, that could be it. I know that's, that's far less interesting than, you know, some you know very obscure reference to 1920s uh, Argentinian cinema or something like that. But um I mean, especially because, like, you know, he knew that that the misspelling of the title would be something that, like, everyone in the media would be commenting on and speculating on going up to the movie, you know? It's the kind of detail that's, like, you, you make just to sort of annoy people. Yeah. Also to uh, make it less Googleable. He's or, one of these or, directors or that's, like, almost like, almost like M. Night Shyamalan, where, like, I almost want his movies to be bad because I want him taken down a peg. Whoa! That's, Whoa. Yeah, that's that's like saying I don't know. Wow, that. Uh... Do you guys think that's too harsh? But like, it's not too harsh about M Night Shyamalan. Do you guys not want M Night Shyamalan to fail? No, it's not that I want no, him no, no, to no. fail. I think his movies are bad in a lot of like since Signs. I fell off after Signs, and that was you know, and that was but, the like, end of. This uh, is a guy who like cast himself as like the Jesus figure that like will save the world in uh, like Lady in the Water. You can't tell me that like you yeah, don't oh, want. I'm not. No, I'm not- I'm not defending M. Night Shyamalan at all. I'm defending Quentin Tarantino against your uh, uh, comparison of him to M. Night Shyamalan. We're talking, this is a totally, totally different. 
I mean, they are, they are totally different. I'm just saying that, like, they both, I, I, I find it difficult to detach my sort of annoyance with, like, who they are as people. With, like, when I walk into the movies to be like, let's see what you got for me, Quentin Tarantino. Yeah, no, this is, but, but Pete just, Pete's uh, rant, long rant was just about this, right? That, that you have to consider the, you have to consider the work def- differently, or at least without reference uh, to who they are as people, you know, and and in the case of Quentin Tarantino, he makes really good movies, and in the case of M Night Shyamalan, he makes really bad movies. Even though you find both of them annoying in real life, I've never met either in real life. IRL. Let's be clear here. Hey, and speaking IRL. of uh, speaking of people meeting people IRL. <laughs> oh. No, oh, was that I, we can yeah. all do a we can all do a segue if we if we want. Um, <laughs> uh, we have. Our second, our second uh, uh, in a series of two so far auditions. Uh, when we put out the call for women to appear on the podcast, uh, we had uh, two takers so far. If you if you want to answer the call uh, to be a guest overthinker with a a shot at being a regular or semi regular overthinker on the podcast panel, uh, you can uh, give us a call at twenty eat log zero one or uh, email at podcastoverthinking.com. We'll be right back with Tracy from Chicago who did answer the call and who wants to talk with us a little bit about online dating. And we've got Tracy on the line. Tracy from Chicago, welcome to the show. Thank you. It is wonderful to have you. Good to be here. And uh, I, I hope you're not, you know, insulted or something or think that it's an example of tokenism that we just put out a call for women to be on the show. We just think that, you know, uh, more diversity of opinion on the podcast panel is is better. Or do do we think that? I don't know. I I think that, but well, we're going to find that out right now. I guess so. Yeah, whether whether it's better whether it's better or not. I mean, is that you, tokenism? Is that the most offensive tokenism of all? Well, you know, um when I first heard your podcast for the first time, I'm like, they need a woman on the show. And and then next thing I, And then the next thing I know, I would I listen to some more and they're like We'd like to get a woman on the show, and I'm like, oh, gee. We so, do, Tracy. Yeah. What is it? What is it that made you think that you, we needed a woman on the show? Was it, you 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 heard us discussing something, and you found that the female's perspective was inherently lacking. Um, no, just you know, I mean, just a bunch of guys talking. I figured it'd be nice <laughs> for a female to have a voice in in everything. <laughs> Our huskiness. That's what it was. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah uh... I guess so. It's like the reverse New York, right? Where where there are lots of bachelors and not that many. Uh, I don't know. Wasn't that a See, thing? That, that's the cruel thing. Because I guess we're going to talk about dating right now. Well, that was, As yeah, a this man was, who's dating I, in New York, it doesn't really seem like the odds are slanted in your favor. Though, though it cla- I mean, the, the claim statistically is that they are, right? Right. Uh, theoretically, there's all these, uh, w- which I don't understand how that happens. Why are there so many more single women than single men? In yeah, this it's clearly the Sex in the City effect. I mean, just, you know, women you, saw that show and just they, came flocking to this town. It sounds no. crazy, but, like, I wouldn't necessarily put it past Sex in the City to have, like, single-handedly skewed the but demographics. It was, it was actually, city. if you think back to the first episode of Sex in the City, one of the points that they made was how many more women, single women, there were in New York than single men. Right? So it was the chicken and the egg thing. Yeah, exactly. Of. So it was, was it Sex in the City that did it? Because in their first episode, Sex in the City commented uh, 
comment right, but that's on not it. to say Sex in the City didn't sort of escalate or cement what was a, a trend at the time. And it seemed like Carrie never had a, had a problem getting a date. Maybe or we should it, ask the woman what she thinks. Or is it just the fact that <laughs> <laughs> Pete, that's essentialist. That's essentialist, and I'm offended by that. <laughs> the fact that there's more women born than men. I mean, more females born than men, and thus there's the, the um, inequality. Yeah. You know. And there's more women educated in college than men. There's more women in professional schools than men. There's more women in medical schools than yeah, men. That's, that's women be... are taking over, dudes. It's already the... here. It's yeah. already happened. They're the new majority. We're the minority now. Yeah, but I, actually, I actually heard that um, that you know almost like last week for the first time in American history, there are actually more women in the workforce than men. Well, I think also I wonder are men intimidated by more educated women? You know, I mean, I mean some men are. But you know, yeah. some, such that they I'm would sure move to sure New York City, like, such that they would that relocate away from them. <laughs> I mean, men claim that they want an, a smart, intelligent, educated woman, and it's possible that you know they may say that they do, but in reality, that's not really what they want. I guess I, I don't know. I think some of the men who do want the smart, educated, intelligent women only want that woman, and so that they can sort of like feel that they they have part ownership over a smart, educated, intelligent woman. That yeah, I think when we were in college, the Playboy came by and did a Women of the Ivy League thing, uh, or maybe that was slightly before our time. But um, I, I don't know. It's, it's just it's just sort of interesting that like just because you're looking for a smart woman doesn't mean you're looking for it for the right reasons. True. And, but I mean, the reverse happens. I have a friend who's looking for an intelligent guy and no one is intelligent enough for her. Hmm. And well, how, is she, how is she looking? Oh, all different ways. Um, and actually online dating is one of the ways that she's looking. So, we, so should you say, know. We, we should say that when we, when we talk to you, when I talked to you originally and you contacted me, uh, at podcastedoverthinkingit.com about yeah. um, uh, about you know uh, coming on the show that this was a to- this was a topic that you suggested and I'm so glad you did because it, ever since then I've been waiting I've been waiting for this day for this uh, opportunity to talk with you and to um, uh, and to hash out this topic now do you have like a great deal of experience online dating. Um, yes, I have done online dating, and it's it's very interesting because I think that it goes um, it goes through a certain cycle and a certain path. And when you don't meet somebody through online dating, you don't know what to do if you've done it enough. Um, you know, so actually meeting somebody in real life or being fixed up in real life. Um, IRL, but, as the kids say. Oh yes. IRL. It's like in the Shawshank Redemption where you become institutionalized. <laughs> well, yes, I mean, it is exactly like that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And Brooks, isn't it, isn't it Brooks who can't make it, it on Brooks, the outside? Yes. And Brooks is like, I don't know how to talk to women <laughs> if they aren't in the, the female prison on a work team. <laughs> well, but I mean, think about it. I mean, okay, so you Do we just get on ShawshankDating.com? and that what in the shower it's like a big picture of a bar of soap on the floor of the shower or something and then when so when you register to date like you're you're classified as fresh fish for like the first few days (laughs) i don't like where this is going (laughs) you you know what's funny prison rape (laughs) Do you have a 
cricket on your soundboard? <laughs> yeah, I should. Play. I should hit the cricket. I should hit. We should the try to be more like a morning radio show, if at all possible. <laughs> you know, someone I saw online a soundboard. Um, but sorry, Tracy, we keep cutting you off. But that's that's no, the kind of jerks we are. That's perfectly fine. You guys really are microphone hogs. <laughs> We're just the male we need, show. We need, we need a woman's touch on the podcast. <laughs> we need somebody to put up some like tasteful framed art. Framed art online. Yeah, well, just, you know, or- oral framed art. Got it, got oral. it. Oral. 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 Uh, what did I say? I said, I said oral. Oral, yeah. I said um, oral. Those, those two okay. words getting confused can really cause some grief in online dating. So did you, what would you okay, say so that your success rate is, Lindsay? Uh, my not success Lindsay, Tracy, rate? Tracy in online dating. Yeah. You know, funny enough, um, I have not had any... You know, serious relationships with anybody I've met online. Okay. They've actually been people who I've met um, are IRL in real life. Um, is, there a, is that a real abbreviation? Yeah. Yes, it is. It's one that the kids use. Interesting. <laughs> no, wait, but you, you have gone on dates based on online. It's gotten that far for you. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And actually, I mean, there's a whole process of it. I mean, you know, first you, you look at the... Um, the profile and kind of analyze it and you know what are they trying to say or what are they not saying in their profile right because there's a whole well there's a whole art there's a whole art to it right to profile writing well i mean you know how do you write how do you write your profile what are they saying what are they not saying when they contact you is it just hi how are you doing or you know are they saying something witty and um memorable and unique and you want you want witty and memorable and unique right that's good um yeah i think witty memorable and unique is a lot better than hey how's it going no wait tracy i'm curious as a girl dating online would you ever contact a guy or are you pretty much just screening incoming emails and deciding who you want to you know uh you know actually write back oh i actually do contact people as well so um, it's and now let me ask you this: Would you ever do that in real life, like at a bar? If you saw a cute guy, would you ever say hi? Um, I have never picked up a guy at a bar. But so so in a way, like online dating almost empowers you to introduce yourself in a way that like you wouldn't necessarily do face to face. Sorry, IRL. <laughs> um, I never really thought about it that way. Um, just thinking back, I'm. I guess when I go to a bar, I I don't go to a bar looking for guys. You know, I go to a bar to hang out with my friends and have a good time. So that's not my intent of the evening. You know, I've I've always said that there should be like real singles bars where like there's almost like a rule. There's like a sign on the door that's like you can't come to this bar unless you are like open to talking to strangers. You know, so that, like, you would at least know that all the girls there are sort of, like, you know, there to flirt and be flirted with. And so you don't have to sort of wonder who's there just to hang out with friends and who's there sort of hoping that they meet someone. Uh, Well, I mean, it's not to say that I haven't, like, people haven't tried to pick me up at bars, but... um, Right. Yeah. I've never gone there just with the intent to 
have somebody pick me up or to meet somebody. So, but that's a very good idea. I think, you know, that's, that's something to build upon. Well, I mean, I think that's one of the straits of online dating, which, which I've, I've done a bunch of, you know, at, at various sites. And I think that one of the advantages, like you at least know that the people on online dating theoretically actually do want to date somebody as opposed to just like walking up to a cute girl and like hoping you know, because like any random girl you see in the street, there's probably a less than fifty percent chance that she is single and actually like looking for a date. Mm-hmm. You well, know, so that like rather than just sort of like you know cross your fingers and hope that you aren't like hitting on a girl who's engaged, you can actually <laughs> just like you know like look at a list of women who would like to be the guy. And right. there's, there's definitely something that's you know a plus you know on that approach. Right. Well, the one thing for me in online dating is that I actually don't pay for online dating. I refuse to pay for online dating. Which means certain sites are are out. Completely out of the question. (laughs) Completely out of the question for me just because I guess my thing about paying for online dating is that I know people who have done it and they almost feel like because they're paying for it, they have to contact as many people as possible. And it's not about meeting somebody who might be more compatible, but or might be compatible for them as it is getting their money's worth. That's kind of sad. It's like it's Out like the introduction, like in the like, olden days, where you'd hire like a matchmaker, and you'd be like, "Well, I got to get married now because, like, you know, I got I got this old woman to fix me up." Have I just have I seen Fiddler on the Roof too many times? I get yeah no I guess so. Your devotion to your devotion to musicals is. Uh... Oh, there are matchmakers. You can go there. I know people have gone that route too. Yeah, there are whole well, shows. There the are whole shows match- on uh, yeah yes. Bravo about about matchmakers, right? It's. You wait, but you actually know somebody who has been like, I need a date. I'm going to get like a professional person to like, not a friend, but like a stranger, and pay them money to fix me up. Um, I. Can- believe i can think of a couple people who have done that and i'm jewish so you know we're all about matchmaking and 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 everything like that so part of our culture huh no it's i it's part of the culture it's part of the culture yeah we're gonna have to sing the song at the end of this podcast okay so let's let's wrap up with something uh with something memorable do you have like a a favorite or a least favorite or an hilarious online date that you've that you've bet on that you that you can divulge the details of oh gosh um that, that you care to you know that you care that to i care to the, share the no I'm, just, I'm, I'm trying to go through uh some of the dates that i've been on um i'll probably think about it after you know we hang up uh, just because that's the way just because um, that, that's the way it goes when you're when you're recording live, uh, right? Any, exactly. I mean, when did, you're recording, you have to think of something on the let spot. Me, let me ask. Let me ask this: um, What was the experience you had where someone showed up with the greatest difference from how they presented online? Um, the greatest difference. Um, I would say somebody's picture was very out of date. <laughs> <laughs> like how out of date? So give me years difference we're talking about. Is it in years or in pounds? <laughs> <laughs> um, pounds. And it, you know, like, 
and, yes, and time I, and mass are in the Einsteinian universe. Time and mass. I, I will, are, ta- I will are tell you this. Things. I'm, I'm not. I'm, I'm not one. To, you know, I don't necessarily prefer. You know, built, skinny. You know, buff guys over a heavier guy. I'm not that kind of person. So it really doesn't make a difference to me. But you know, always. I'm not. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm being hard on you. Well, what I'm saying is, and and this is actually one of my things, is I'm always, whenever they, you know, it's that, is my picture, am I greatly different than what my picture looks like online? Um, because I have, and, and, you know, it doesn't matter, but some in the back of your mind you are thinking, yeah, maybe you should update your picture a little bit, just, you, you know. Do it with the MySpace angle, where you hold the camera <laughs> above your head and look up towards it, which, you know minimizes neck fat or something. Uh. <laughs> hey, Tracy, you know what we should start? Instead of a matchmaker, we should start a service where we will help people write online dating profiles. That's not a bad idea. But, like, they will, we'll do an interview with them, and then based on like what they've told us, we'll, we'll figure out how to put their best foot forward, how to make them sound as interesting as they can be. And like, we won't lie or anything. You know, we'll, we'll be honest about who they are. We'll just sort of like help them to sell themselves. How you know, far, do you, like an advertising agency How far do you go with that, Matt, though? Because, like, will you take pictures uh, specific for, the, for them and the online profile? Or I mean, I, I think that I could probably, like, look through a bunch of pictures and, like, give them my professional opinion on, like, which ones would probably represent them best. Professional as an online dating editing professional. This is fictional, by the way. Like, like I wouldn't... I, I would be terrible at this. I, I'm just going to come I've actually and say done this. Like, I've done this for people, friends, and I'll gladly hold a clinic on it. There are people <laughs> who actually take pictures specifically for their online profile. So well, yeah, well, well, of course. I mean, you know, once yeah. you start... Once you wait, start wait. getting into that, Pete, Pete, you've actually written people's online dating profiles. Yes, I have actually well, multiple people's. All right. Well, we will get back and talk about that in just a second. In the meantime, <laughs> Tracy, do you do you have a parting shot? Do you want to say? I mean, if this were your online dating profile to date the Overthinking It podcast, uh, to go study <laughs> with the Overthinking It podcast, <laughs> what are the five things that you can't live without? The five things. No, I, I don't. I don't know. I don't know. What's that? I feel like that's too specific. What is? What do you want your parting shot to be? Our listeners' uh, last uh, last memory of your audition on the show. Oh, um, you know what? I would say that I overthink a lot because right now I'm just overthinking what my last parting words would be. So there you go. She's a born she is a born overthinker. She is Tracy from Chicago, and she is a bona fide female. I can verify because I see the picture of you that you have on your Skype profile. Yes. <laughs> and you can't lie on Skype. No, you can't lie on <laughs> Skype. No one as we've established, no one would ever upload a picture to an online profile that is not entirely accurate. Why what would they have to gain? Yeah, right, absolutely. What what could the possible payoff be? Well, you'll have to ponder that. We will be right back with more Overthinking It after this brief musical bumper. We're back, and that was Tracy. Tracy from Chicago. Tracy, right? Yes. Okay, yes. <laughs> Sorry. We record the whole thing out of order, so it's like an out. It was an hour and a half ago that we did the interview with Tracy. You know, Much I'm like just... a Quentin Tarantino movie, also uh, you know, chronologically uh, non-linear. Yet right. somehow yeah, abso- yeah, absolutely. It's like Pulp Fiction where, you know, where, oh, spoiler alert, John Travolta gets shot in the middle. 
All right. What? And also, we recorded we recorded that, that really thing of it. <laughs> we recorded that long part about the Triceratops, which we actually decided to cut and not air. But that was the first thing we recorded. Tonight, I think right? it actually is our finest work, and I think that uh, it's really a tragedy that it will never see the light of day. But it was <laughs> it was too obscure. I, I agree. Yeah. I agree uh, wholeheartedly. <laughs> and too Fair too enough. too digressive. Well, hey, if you want to comment on uh, on uh, Tracy's audition, I mean, you know, don't be a jerk, but say what you think uh, on in the comments on the show notes uh, for this podcast at overthinkingit.com. You you know you can get. Did you know that you can get old episodes of the podcast? They only go back so far in iTunes because I think the uh, the feed only has the last eight or last ten episodes. But if you go to overthinkingit.com slash podcast, you can actually go back through all the episodes to number one when the podcast was not very good. The number one is me and Belinky talking about uh, Oscar-nominated short films from two years ago. <laughs> we were so long. We discussed them for so long and we were still wrong. <laughs> it was Yeah, no, it's true. We thought a lot. We really thought a lot about it. And... Uh, the one that we did not like at all won the Oscar. So there, there yeah, you go. Yeah, it was like the slapstick musical parody about the Middle East. So I want to throw out a challenge here. I want us to uh, write an online profile, or at least go through the motions, some of the motions of writing an online profile uh, right now. Right now, for, for right who here. specifically? For one of us? For all of us? Well, no, I like- guess I guess I want us to. I, it's not even important what we write, but like, given the kind of essay prompts, you know, or the kind of questions or things like this that are on an online profile, I want us to analyze the uh, the pitfalls and the you know the aims, how how you kind of thread the needle with writing an online profile. So if it, if it ends up in specific prose for any one of us, it's, um, it's, uh, that's okay. But it's more, it's more general about, you know, about, uh, what, what goes into an online profile? Like what are the, what are the prerogatives? And I guess fair warning to the readers, we are looking at, and I'm not going to say what sites and I'm not going to say where they are, but certain of us, have uh, online dating profiles out there in the world. Um, and, you know, so we are looking at those. So we may make reference to them, uh, but we'll try not to because that would be very, uh, very embarrassing for all of us. And we certainly do not urge you to go out and try to find these things because that would be embarrassing. I want to start out by saying that I think that this is going to be a case where Matt and Pete are going to sort of school me because they both have had success with online dating. And I, though I am, you know, happily taken with my girlfriend of two years now, um, uh, who I met IRL, you know, not online. Um, <laughs> I, when so I was, fashion- everything about you is so high tech, except for that one accessory. Uh, the woman, you know, like, <laughs> you're like a little disappointed that, like, with all your shiny new gadgets, you haven't like had a successful online dating experience. No, yeah, when I was single and trying to online date uh, some time ago, but you know, I was, I was, um, I was totally unsuccessful. I was like zero for twenty five, or or zero for fifty, or or whatever it was. So you know, um, so okay, it starts, I guess, with. The picture, right? 
Um, I guess I don't know. I mean, we could start with the picture. Sure, that's a great. That's a good place to start. Um, I mean, I think that there's one fundamental question you got to ask yourself, and maybe you guys can correct me before you get started with your online shirt day. or no shirt, right? Yes. <laughs> are you given? It's shirts or skins. There are two teams in online dating. You're either on the shirts team or you're on the skins team. And I know most of us dread being on the skins team, so we try to nudge our way over to the shirt side of the court and guess which one it's going to be and encourage people to like shoot for teams and then miss on purpose and stuff like that <laughs> but uh no 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 what, I, what it's saying is that there's two now I, I in terms of online dating i i see that they that this is my philosophy i'm not a huge like like player in terms of like wanting to get with women for the sake of getting with women but i do think that there are structures in place that you need to know how they work and you need to learn how they work so that you can uh, feel comfortable and you can ne- negotiate the various obstacles that stand between you and meeting somebody that you really care about and having a successful relationship so i may say things that sound really douchebaggy but i would hope that you would give me the benefit of the doubt that this is all a means to whatever end you want to use it for this is just the tool these are just the powers this is this is not the the responsibility that comes with it so that being said there are two fundamental approaches to making an online dating profile in my mind you can make an active profile or you can make a passive profile and what i mean by that is that you should make you can make a profile where an active and a passive profile is where you are making a profile that is meant to make you appealing uh, to as many people as possible in the hopes that you can meet those people in real life and figure out from those people who you like and who you don't like. And, and like finding out who you don't like is less important. You're not going to exact vengeance on them or anything. But finding out who you like is good. And an active profile is where you put a lot of information in your own profile that will narrow down your search to somebody that you feel you will match up well with. So how much of online dating do you want to use to try to find the right person? And how much of online dating do you want to use to make a lot of connections and then make the switch to real life and then use that to find people? And I think that the online dating services also run along this axis with like eHarmony on the far end of like active, like use the internet to find me somebody um, and versus like, you know, I guess like what a random classified ad in the newspaper um, yeah. or like, I should you say know, that I actually attempted to create an eHarmony profile and I was actually rejected from eHarmony. Oh, wow. And what grounds? On the, the grounds that, like, their whole system is based on, like, they're better at matching people up than other sites. That they're not just going to let you create a profile. They're actually going to, you know, figure out who you're a good match with. And that, like, if they get somebody whose profile doesn't really fit into, like, you know, one of their computer models, they will actually reject these people because they're sort of, like, they're bringing your batting average down. Mm-mm-mm-mm. Interesting. Um, so yeah, I don't so know. I so, guess what I'm saying. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, no. I don't like eHarmony either because my oh. friends always seem to find women on that that don't treat them well. But uh, anyway, uh, well, saying, let me Mark? jump in here without having ever filled out a, a, an online dating profile. Um, it seems to me that um, this is, I guess, this is kind of related to your two approaches, Pete. But to me, it seems there's two ways to go out about this. And I'm going to classify them slightly differently than you did. One is playing it safe. Essentially, just you know, when the with the prompts, for example, religion or favorite things, you just list things as matter of factly as possible, um, without you know, essentially just doing it so matter of factly that there's no way to read into it like there is with the other way, which is not playing it safe, which is being more descriptive, which is kind of as analogous, Pete, to your more active way, right? In terms of writing things out and 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 
in prose, you know, in more full sentences and describing them in a way that is supposed to be more reflective about who you actually are rather than just saying, you know, my religion uh, lapsed Catholic, for example. Right. Well, like think about major mainstream politicians. And are you guys familiar with the median voter theorem or theory, median voter theory? Not exactly. Okay. Okay. so the median voter theory is, uh, is that if you have two politicians on a political continuum, um, the person who manages to – if you consider that the voters are on a bell curve of where they stand on that continuum, the person who manages to edge the other guy out for the, for the middle person is the one who's going to win the election. Um, right? And related to this – and related to this whole notion of, of how people vote is this idea that, um, that people are turned off – by things that they don't like much faster than they're turned on by things that they do like, right? So in service to like – so like if you – say like you really hate the idea of like private schooling for your kids. You like public schools. You want public schools to be really well funded. If a politician says something about a voucher program, you're going to be like, oh, I hate that guy, even if you agree with him on like everything else, right? Um, even if he might be utility-wise better for you, if they hit one thing that you disagree with too strongly, then you'll write them off. Um, so – I think related to the active and passive question, if you're making a passive profile, it's in your interest to say as little as possible and to like, and in fact, like you want to fill it out a little bit. You just want to look like you're putting like random like characters in there, but like be evasive, you know, like don't say what's really a, a true about you. Like do the whole classic, like I like to go, I like to go out a little bit sometimes. I like to say in, that's like the classic online, the classic match.com. And I did match.com for a long time. And the classic match.com profile is the headline is, I'm too, I'm too busy. Like I can't think of a headline is like the most popular headline. Um, and then, and then, cause most people are passive, I think. And, and, uh, and the most popular profile is like, I'm a laid back person, but I also like to have fun and I work hard. I like to go yeah. out. I also like to I stay love in. to laugh. I love laughing. Doing th- things that make I me like happy. Music. Make me happy. Yeah, you know what I like, you know what I like to do? I really like to go out and have fun, but I also like to stay in and watch a movie with popcorn on the couch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like religion is sort of important to me, but not really. Like values are what's important. And like whatever, and it's whatever sort of, you want. Yeah, that's the classic passive profile. That's like I am not giving passive. you any real information about who I am. I am like giving myself an opening to like be available to anybody. Because see, um, I think one of the things about online dating that that you're hitting on is that for all intents and purposes, it can seem like there are an infinite number of choices. Mm. And so that it's to this pursuit. Like if you're at a bar and somebody strikes up a conversation with you, you're probably going to talk to them, you know, for yeah. for a few minutes and, and see. You're not just going to be like, you know, the first thing that they say that's not that makes them not your ideal guy. You break off the conversation. But like with an online dating profile, if you read something that's not quite right, it's so easy to look at the next profile on that list of 800 profiles. Um, mm. So that, like, I, I think you do, especially in the in at the beginning of the game, you got to play your cards very close to your chest, so you sort of stay in the running for long enough for people to actually get to know you. Mm, yeah, definitely. You there's like certain. I feel like you like you could write up a list of like red flag words that you should never use in your online dating profile, no matter what the context is. Like, for instance, you should never use the sentence like "I'm not crazy" in your online dating profile. <laughs> <laughs> like, even if it's true that most people are looking for someone who is not crazy, like this information will not come across in the way that you think it will come across. Like, you don't want the word "crazy" within like 40 miles of your online dating profile. Um, 
I mean, maybe if you want to be like, I like it to get a little bit crazy sometimes. Even that is like, you are, you are seriously throwing a big obstacle between you and anybody who is moderately cautious about this sort of thing. Um, so yeah. you got to be careful. Don't talk about your parents. I, I think that's another good rule of thumb. Unless you're like really, really super, super traditional. Like, don't talk about your mom or your dad because people have anxieties around that sort of thing. Like, you know, don't talk about uh, doing drugs unless you really want somebody who does drugs a lot. Um, because even if somebody is kind of okay with like seeing like smoking or drinking, like if you, unless you're trying to be really active and find somebody who matches that lifestyle, um, you're, you're going to scare people away. Uh, and so, yeah, like, they're I just going to assume yeah. that anything you say in your profile carries this sort of momentous weight, whether or not it does. And they're, yeah, they're going to read too yeah. much into it. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we'll go back to pictures, and I wanna, and I wanna. I have two theories, sort of like two fundamental theories about online dating that sort of have tension with each other. And one of them is like the active versus passive continuum, which is like, do you try to cast a wide net or do you try to be specific? And the other one is, because um, in that sense, like, um, well. Let me see. No, I'm sorry. I, the ones that are in tension with each other. The other one here is that you want to not say anything that's going to drive away people that you would get along with and like. So you want to say very little. But on the other hand, and this is, I think, a really interesting idea, is that everybody who is online looking is looking for something, right? Everybody online, even if they're, they don't know what they want in their life, like has some sort of like maybe fantasy idea of the kind of person they would like to date. Maybe they have a bunch of different fantasies. Most people have a bunch of different fantasies about like, when I load up this, what kind of person do I want to find? And so it's in your interest to make it possible for yourself to fit into as many of those potential fantasies as you can. And I, and I think that, that so it's on one hand to your interest to not say much, and on the other hand, it's in your interest to like offer a lot of different facets of yourself so that somebody can grab onto one of them if they're looking for it, right? So like the way to do this is with your pictures. And so I think a lot of places will let you upload more than one picture. I would always advise you to upload more than one picture. And I would advise you to upload different pictures that show you doing different things in different circumstances. So if somebody really likes, say, dinners out, and you go on dinners out, right, like have a picture of you on a dinner out. Even if that's not like your main picture, like if your main picture is of you skydiving, and you have another picture of you on a dinner out, then people who like skydiving and are looking for someone who likes skydiving will find you. And people, and if they don't care about eating out, they won't look at the other picture. And people who want to go out to dinner, you don't care about skydiving, won't even look at the other picture. They'll see the picture that they want to see. Like, I think that maybe it's the visual versus the text. In the visual, people see what they want to see. And in the text, like, people look for things to be afraid of. Um, and they look for topics of conversation. I mean, that, that's, I think people are much more, they think pictures are much more friendly than words, and words are sort of judgments. Um, I don't know. I mean, unless you're really good with words. The other thing is that if you're a bad writer, like, be, like, you can have somebody else look over your stuff, but also like understand that you're going to be at a disadvantage in online dating if you're a bad writer. Right, because, um, the, because the real the, – the profile is just the – that's just the, the entry proposition, right? Because it's, it's really in the back and forth of the private messages on the, uh, after someone has clicked on you, right? Uh, well, yeah. I mean, I don't know. I think that it's it's a really good idea to meet people in real life as soon as possible, in my mind. Once you have yeah. at all ascertained that you might get along, I think this might be why Matt and I have succeeded in online dating and you haven't, rather, is that you probably <laughs> write too many messages. You don't meet them in right, real you life. You let it stay online for too long. Yeah. Because it's still about human beings and not no, about I'm saying like, I had a bad yeah. I had a bad response rate 
you know and i would do i would do the mm. thing where i would try to pick up on something in the pick up on something in the profile and say something you know clever about it and like you know ask a question and like you know i don't know uh i i i was also i guess i was half hearted and maybe that maybe that came through cuz i always i i hadn't quite made the leap that like oh hey this is like a legitimate way that we meet people and, you know, kind of get to know them or maybe not get to know them or start the process of getting to know them. I was kind of like, uh, I was, I was always, uh, I was always metadating, online metadating. You know, I feel so, like a lot of people that do online dating, probably less and less with every passing day are a little bit apologetic about the idea of online dating. And if you sort of acknowledge that, it brings yeah. a long way to disarm in the other house. The fact that like what you're doing is a little bit weird and artificial, and it sort of breaks the tension of the. Yeah, but I mean, like, okay, but artificial, like everything is is everything is artificial in a certain sense because we have to. Not make evaporated, it. Ca- evaporated cane juice is totally natural. <laughs> I'm saying that you know we have to, in the sense that everything is artificial and that it involves artifice, like you know, like a bar is is an artifice or something like that. My my least, I had. Uh, colleagues in the theater who fancied themselves intellectuals and you know and also kind of were were like these f the man types and so it it was like well that's not real that's just a construct your morality is just a construct you know and it's like that would always used to annoy me so much like that's just a construct as 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 opposed to there as as though there's anything that is just about being a construct right like my house is a construct but i like to live in it as a <laughs> opposed to like out under the out under the sky you know and yeah. in the same way like a singles bar is artificial or like taking a pottery class is artificial or you know joining a book club a book club is artificial right yeah like, absolutely it would be natu- mean, it would be natural to talk with your friends out at coffee about books you like right but like going to someone's house where you all have to bring like you know i don't know a, a basket of muffins or a hot dish or something and like there's uh you know a discussion leader who's a professional who who runs the book club like that's that's ridiculous and like is this uh i guess uh, all this this whole rant which i'll stop shortly is in defense of online dating which is to say there's nothing more artificial about it than any of the other things we do to meet people it just happens to be a more recent kind of artifice than some of the others yeah yeah, I mean, here's how I think about online dating, which is that like when you meet people in real life, like in a bar, you're sort of walking up to an attractive stranger and hoping that they're interesting, hoping that you have something in common. And when you meet somebody online, you're sort of contacting an interesting stranger where maybe you already know you have something in common and you're hoping that you're attracted to them. Yeah, I mean, I think that people underestimate the importance of attraction. Um, and, and, yeah, and like, exactly. Yeah. Like, no matter how broad-minded you think you are, and, and like, it's nothing to be ashamed about. I mean, I think we're very visual creatures, and that you're supposed to use your eyes to decide yeah. whether or not somebody. Well, yeah, is no, a it's creature. totally, it's totally part of the equation, right? Right. Yeah. And, well, and, like, yeah. like, you don't have to feel bad about the fact that, like, you know, you have you exchange like two great emails with somebody, and you meet them for coffee, and you instantly know that, like, you just don't want to date this person. Right. Well, yeah, yeah. yeah, they just don't look like something that, yeah, no, you're allowed to like what you like, and that's okay, I think. Yeah. Right. I mean, I think there's a lot of research out there that says that, you know, as much as you might know about somebody, where how you react to how they smell is going to inform better, like, how successful any sort of relationship between the two of you is going to be. You yeah. know, like, like there's, there's like, a lot of stuff, like, not their actual sort of smell on there. Like, no, it's, no, it's no, it's like... 
Yeah, and pheromones and like your sense of whether they have certain antibodies and like your compatibility. Right, but like what I'm saying yeah. is like it's not their smell in a way that you can really detect with your. No, content. no, it's that. I, I think that when people talk about natural versus artificial, they're really using that as a proxy for talking about like the the sort of perce- the perceivable and versus the sort of reliance on the imperceivable. Um, like something can be artificial and still. Like something can be perceivable, and things that are artificial and imperceivable feel natural. So, like if you if like the sort of if you grow up in a particular town and the highways have always gone in a certain way. Like for instance, I grew up on Route 17, like not on it, but like Route 17 runs through my town in New Jersey where I grew up. And every time I come back to Route 17, no matter where I am, I get this feeling that sort of all is right with the world. And I always used to joke that when I would like set foot on the soil of New Jersey, my strength would come back to me like that Earth giant that Hercules has to wrestle. And there was this notion or to like me that Captain there's something, Planet. or like Captain Planet. That's true. Uh, Captain Planet was from true. New Jersey. Exactly. I'm sure it was. <laughs> yo, but your powers <laughs> combined. No, I don't know. Me, yo, <laughs> yo, powers combined. Hey, oi, wind, fire, water, water, cheese. Um, water is my favorite planet. Yeah. <laughs> what a cheese quake? Does anyone know? What? I had a cousin who's a park ranger in Cheesequake. Um, what is Cheesequake? I've always wondered. It's a it's a town. It's a it's a town. It has a park there. There's a state park. There's got to be a story behind it, right? You don't call oh, it cheese cheese by accident, yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I, I would have to go to the power of Wikipedia, as I would have to do for all things. <laughs> And see no, all right. Let's, let's, let's push out with this online yeah. dating thing. Yeah, but I, but I would say that, like, for me, there's something about the way that I drive when I'm on Route 17 that feels natural. But it's not natural. It's like a highway that costs billions of dollars or whatever to make. I'm driving in an iron horse of some sort. You know, like, I, it's just because it's imperceivable to me. It's because it's it's such a second nature that I'm not aware that I'm doing it. And that's why it feels natural. It's because we associate nature with um, causes and effects that we don't we don't observe uh, and that, that are sort of like that, that are um, that, that occur without us needing to observe them. Not only can we not observe them, but like we don't have to observe them. Uh, there's no, there's no um, mandate that says we have to see it. Right. I think that that's, that's when people talk about artificial and natural, like it's great if you're getting into Like we can, we can even take this to the next level. If you're having a conversation with somebody, like we talked about um, Coen brothers versus Tarantino. I'm going to, I'm going to loop that back in here. You have a lot of, Tarantino conversations when you're dating somebody where you're or like when you're getting to know somebody at the beginning where because you're really you're try- because about- they want a foot massage <laughs> exactly well when, when you're really <laughs> I, I know what you're saying which is that like yeah. you're sort of like you know you're having like you know so you know what do you do you follow sports but like you know you're really you really don't care if they follow sports or not well, I'm more specifically talking about like, so yeah, you know, I I don't know. I mean, I don't really like to eat, you know, uh, store-bought cereals because, you know, I like my cereal to be natural, you know, and, and like, I like everything that I put in my body to be natural. You know what I mean? Like, I don't like this artificial stuff. No, this is not true of me. Um, oh, yeah, it's going to be like, that's weird, Pete. No, I have a bunch of Diet A&W root beer cans in front of me right now, so I'm perfectly <laughs> But the thing is that like, when you're using that word natural, what you're really sort of talking about is like, I like to follow my sort of imperceivable feelings, right? Like I like to follow, um, like, like my, my instincts and my impulses, right? Like there's something holistic when you say like, I mean, I, I think, I think maybe it sounds crazy, but like sit back and think about it. If you're saying to somebody like, yeah, you know, like I love natural foods and I like putting natural things in my body. I think you're really talking about sex. 
You know what I mean? Like, I, like it, that's what you're talking about. I and mean, like, to, to, to a large extent, when like you meet somebody on like a first date, like every conversation you have up to the point where you actually have sex is sort of about sex to some degree. Totally. I, I totally agree with you. Because totally you're agree. auditioning somebody for the role of sex partner. Yeah, I mean, and it, and it, it sounds horrible, but like, I mean, you're, what else, what other role does this person have in your life? They're a total stranger. Well, they I mean, might like, have like a much larger role, but like sex is like the first, like, like if you're thinking about it, like a video game, like sex is like the first boss. Sex is like, you know? a, uh, was it? Maybe like second base third base or like mini bosses, but like sex is like the first. <laughs> no, actually, depths, like mini, other Matt, like mini, levels. Matt, mini you know? bosses is what I call my, uh, Stop it! <laughs> I have a, my my similar perspective is that you have to settle this. You have to settle the sex question, and, and or it's always going to be there. You know what I mean? Like like it's going to be there until you settle it. So even if you're not like judging the person, like like I've had people I met on Match.com who became good friends of mine, and we never did anything with each other. Like I have a good friend who became my pub trivia partner for a while, and we never we never even like held hands. Um, but that's because we settled the sex question. Like, like we had a lot of conversations about sex and we weren't interested in having sex with each other. And we, once we sort of settled that and we realized it, then like our conversations took on other subtexts. But like until that point in which that thing is not necessarily even on or off the table, but is like, is so you have some sort of consensus on it. It's really hard to have it not creep into your conversations. But I think that the main point I was trying to make also is just like natural versus artificial there are going to be a lot of words that have a lot of a lot of subtext that isn't necessarily what they actually mean, right? And so you have to give people a little a little bit of leeway doing this sort of thing, and, and you can use this to your advantage to try to talk to people emotion on an emotional level, and, you know, like figure out what you're really talking about, and rather than scare them by actually talking about it, like be a human being who's civilized and talk about something else, right? You know, I mean, yeah. like, isn't that what a lot of this is all about? Um, totally, totally, totally. So, like, Matt, let me ask you this. Um, and this goes to both Matt's and to Mark as well. Um, the headline, the headline. I, I, there are so many people who put wishy-washy, non-committal headlines that don't say anything about themselves. And, like, I, I am very against this. I feel like you should put yourself out there and say something about yourself in your headline. Yeah, Pete, um, I, was gonna, I was about to ask you about this as well, too. And I, I yeah. think I came up with a great one. And it, uh, it does it accomplishes a lot of things. It really puts out personal philosophy. It also kind of weeds out people that aren't going to like this kind of thing. And here it is. Live every week like it's Shark Week. <laughs> sorry, you got it. You got to give credit where credit is due on that one. My, my, my most successful Match.com headline was um, might solve a mystery or rewrite history um, because the people <laughs> got it. The people who oh, got yeah, it yeah, loved yeah, it. Yeah, ducktail, and the people ducktail. who didn't get it didn't realize they missed anything. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's from the, the opening to DuckTales. Um, yeah, every day there I've been making DuckTales. So I feel like that's kind of – and like the, I think the one – there was one uh, – profile headline that i really liked oh what was it oh somebody like made a flight of the concords reference in her profile title and i was like that's brilliant i want to send that person an email even though i have nothing in common with them because like that headline like i get that like i'm part of the in crowd like i instantly feel accepted so i mean that's something you can consider making cultural references and headlines is like a good shorthand for many things that are important to you like if you make an arrested development reference you've suddenly said like like just by by saying 
the fact that you like Arrested Development enough to make that reference, uh-huh. you've, you've told people a lot about yourself in right. a way that like yeah. is hard to do in five words. Well, right, yeah. It's a, it's a question of positioning yourself as, as being a member of a certain, a certain tribe or something like that. Yeah. Or if I, you know, I, I might, these days, if I were ever to get back into the game, I might do, uh, this is my profile. There are many like it, but this one is mine. <laughs> that, that, that's a perfect example of a headline that you should not use. <laughs> You're with me, Pete, right? That, that's, that would be not a strong... Well, well, I think anything that suggests that you're going to shoot the girl is probably not something you want to put in your headline. Right. Also, girls, girls tend, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, girls tend not to be huge fans of Full Metal Jacket. <laughs> well, you have I'm to sorry, consider. That's offensive. <laughs> going back to what I said before, like active, there's, there's the three. I guess it's three levels, right? There's passive, there's active, and there's red flag. Where it's like you're not you're you're trying to leave it open, or you're trying to say something about yourself versus like you're saying so much about yourself that you will do nothing but hurt yourself. <laughs> like no matter how nice of a person you are, like you really don't want to go into too much detail about the fact that you just fixed your your like deck chairs. You know you know what I mean? Being like I just put like three lug nuts and four screws on my deck chairs, and you're like this person is crazy. You know what I mean? It's it's like um yeah. you never want to step across that line. I feel you know what it is? It's like uh. It's like, um, like operation, I guess, where like if you get too, you get too sloppy when you're grabbing for that Adam's apple, like the red light is gonna go and like people are gonna click through and not pay attention. You have to keep keep under control while you're doing it. Um, I don't know. That's my take on it anyway. And I feel like, but there's a lot of good ways. You can, there's a lot of good stock headline styles. Like you can identify a uh, a quality that you have. You like, you know, I'm a, I, you know, I'm a runner. You can talk about, you can do it like the sort of like, you know, single white male looking for blah, 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 like that kind of format. You could like who you're looking for, what you like to do. You could talk about meta uh, headlines on some sides more than others. Doing the meta headline is sort of like, or like making reference to the fact that it's a headline on an online dating site. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Part of the, and I I think one thing that we haven't mentioned so far is that every online dating site has its own sort of culture. Yes, this is very true. Wait, let's let's ring the changes on some of them because I don't know I don't know all of these. Like, so what? OkCupid is like is the Vimeo of uh, of dating sites where it's like quirky and uh, kind of DIY or something. Well, I, I think picking an online dating site, you know, you should think about what is the most important thing in a woman and here's here's my problem with jd which is like i think my parents actually got me a subscription to jd at one point and i did try it <laughs> uh and i think i did actually go on a few dates with it but the thing is that like if you go on a date with most of the women on jd they're the most important thing that they want in a member of the opposite sex is jewishness like they want <laughs> they want you to be jewish Good and point. so if religion if religion is not incredibly important to you you may not be right for J-Date because clearly the people on J-Date, they want to get with Jewish people. Um, say that I, did, I did a, a personal service through The Onion and the people on there tend to be very funny and very sort of like witty and very, you know, quirky because like they were doing profiles off of The Onion. And like, I think that's not a coincidence that that site because they sort of like want to associate themselves well the onion uses uses a larger service that was also like that was the nerve service and that was you know there were a couple of like uh internet publications that used that as their kind of uh online dating fulfillment service Mm. so you're saying it's all the same pool no well that 
Yeah, but they, I mean, they chose, I think they were smart about it. They chose publications or websites that were, if not exactly aligned, that, that had a, a similar kind of sensibility. Mm. I know where this yeah, is and going. Yeah, like if, if you look overthinking on overthinking at personals, <laughs> overthinking at personals. Oh, oh, oh. Let us know in the comments. Let us know in the comments. Oh my god! <laughs> I just I have I feel like I have to do that now because we definitely could. <laughs> I could set up an installation of Drupal or something and set it up yeah. as a personal site at like personals.overthinkingit.com. It would take me about it would take me about fifteen hours to do over the course of a weekend, and we could have a functioning personal site on overthinking it just to like be funny about it i don't know that would be awesome. yeah if you want to write a little headliner if you want to write a like uh, the first paragraph of your you know tell me about yourself um uh thing, no, 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 i got i got i got it. In the comments. We, we set up we set up the, we set up the personal site yeah and we populate it with um, our favorite philosophers and fictional characters <laughs> <laughs> to see the two Schopenhauer would be, would be a good match I think, for, like, yeah, Jane, for like Jane Grey. You know? Yeah, or like uh, whether who the Jew hunter is, you know, <laughs> likes. The word Jew hunter should never appear on your Adelma dating profile. <laughs> <laughs> Even if it's a Jane dating profile. Oh, oh, oh really? Oh, Matt, hey, Shelly, <laughs> Matt, do you remember? I'm gonna I'm gonna take us down memory lane for a bit. I hope he's still out there somewhere. But there is a brilliant, brilliant comedian named Andre Dubouchet. Who, yeah, who, who does, is he still? Is he still doing Giant Tuesday down I on? Uh, I, I think that particular show's over. But I hope he's still yeah. out there doing comedy. He used to do the gigantic, or then slash the giant Tuesday night of amazing inventions, and also there was a game, which was a variety show in New York City that like it made me love comedy. And, and, uh, and as the title would imply, it was very sort of like meta and deconstructionist. Yeah, it was like a combination of like Sabado Gigante and a graduate school seminar. So it was pretty. <laughs> it was pretty awesome. But he would have a game that the audience would play, or members of the audience would play at the end of every show. And uh, and one of the games was Minecomp um, or Match.com, where he would read a passage. <laughs> And now this was before – I feel like this was back in like a slightly earlier day of like online social lives when like Friendster was big and online dating was still very fringy. Um, and people still yeah. thought social networking was weird and something you shouldn't do. Um, but it, he would read a passage. He basically just picked like the most innocuous parts of Mein Kampf and like the most rampantly anti-Semitic yeah. parts of Match.com <laughs> and would like read them and, you, and he had to guess, is it from Mein Kampf or is it from Match.com? <laughs> it's harder than you think. It's much harder than you think. Apparently Hitler um, talks like a lot about his his like idyllic childhood in Bavaria. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But yeah, like you know, you shouldn't talk about Jean Grey. You shouldn't talk about Dragon Ball. Like those things shouldn't be on your profile. Not because like, yeah, like there's certain stereotypes you don't want to fit into. But mostly it's like you don't want to like give too much information to like give someone an excuse not to like you if those things are really not that important. No, wait, hold it, right? Pete. Are you, is is everything you're saying unisex advice? Because certainly, if you're a girl and you want a lot of responses, talking about Dragon Ball would be one possible strategy. Well, it is. I mean, you would think so, but then again, like I'm not sure if you're accurately. I don't think guys have a good sense for who among guys is on these online dating sites. Like I, I've found myself that like. Much like in the country, on the online dating sites, I am a member of startlingly small minority. <laughs> and like, in fact, most guys are not like me. Like, most guys don't listen, don't want to do the thinking of podcasts, listen to everything of podcasts. You know, like, you know, tonight NASCAR is the most popular sport in America, and I have not, no idea what's going on with it. You know, like, like there are cities and millions and millions of men out there who don't give a crap about Dragon Ball, and like, maybe a woman wants to date one of those guys. Please don't probably- say, don't say that. 
That's just. <laughs> I mean, let's be let's be fair. I have to say, over the age of like fifteen or like fourteen, but you know what I mean. Like, like I feel like guys got the the experience of online dating is fundamentally different for men and women, um, specifically because of like the the cross section of your given population that you're more likely to come across, and also because women get bombarded a lot more by guys than men do by girls. But right. also, I think men don't have a good sense for who their competition is because, like, I never go on online dating sites and look at the other dudes' profiles. Like, oh, that's really? Oh, you I don't. Just, I, I did all the time. Are yeah, you serious? I, yeah, to get yourself, uh, to get yourself, what, like, um, to check out the competition. Yeah, that, I mean, I, I'm seriously on Pete, like, not to take that step just out of curiosity, if not due diligence. Well, I mean, I did it, like, once or twice when I was first starting out. But, like, I don't feel like I looked at enough of them to get a good sense of who was in general in the population, I guess. Most of my experience about it, it comes from asking women what they came across. And, like, like so what did they put on their profile? Like, what did you like about their profile? Like, what didn't you like about their profile? Um, who are the guys that really stood out for you? Um, and I mean, this is a good conversation because it's actually a Tarantino conversation, right? You're saying like, what match.com profiles really stood out for you? What I'm really asking is like, well, what do you like? What gets you excited? Like what, what, what turns, what turns you on? You know, like what, what, what kind of pictures on profiles get you interested? You know, like that's a proxy conversation for like, you know, a, a more sort of high level discussion of, uh, of like what people are into in general, right? And you can say a lot through that kind of conversation, but no, I mean, yeah, you're right. It is on Pete like, and it was also a little bit heterophobic. And I should have been a little bit more straightforward in terms of doing some market research um, and right, finding exactly. out like, who is a competition. Definitely. But I definitely think, like, also based on the women, that, how many of the women were looking for, like, you may notice some of you guys have looked at my online profile. I make an explicit disclaimer that I'm not a Red Sox fan, which I eventually had to do because so many women found out that I was a Yankee fan and were not interested in me anymore because um, I live in, Bo- in greater Boston. And it's just like, that is very important. Is it that, is it that strong the, the, in the heart of the nation? Yes. <laughs> Dead serious. Uh, anybody like, from Massachusetts? Like, first, it's like I don't think in New York, not being a Yankees fan would really be like a deal breaker to many of the women here. But maybe that reflects how many more women than men there are here. Uh, no, I think it just fundamentally reflects how the culture of Boston is specifically oriented around the Red Sox and the Patriots. And, and based on what you told me, uh, TVs and bars and clubs. Yes, everything has television showing the game. I went to a jazz club a couple months ago. There was a television showing the game right next to the bassist. So it was a little bit much. A little much. They love to show the televisions that show the game all the time. No, great. Did, did, are- did TV get a solo in the, in the jazz set? Nobody else ever got a solo because they were always competing with the game for everybody's <laughs> But yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. But yeah, like, you know, other guys like sports more than I do. Other guys like drinking more than I do. Like, pretty much as a rule. You know, not universally everybody, but like, more often than not. Yeah, you'd think that would make you a hot commodity, though, right? Because you're, even if you have an, uh, even if you have niche appeal, right? Like, uh, there aren't a lot of guys who have niche appeal. Well, it, it's it's the whole active versus passive thing. It's like, am I going to look for the girls who fit my niche, or am I going to sort of put myself out there and hope that my uniqueness is going to like carry me through the process? Don't you think that uh, asset, don't you think that that active is the way to go in that case because you don't want to waste your time? You know, I, I mean, rule, I mean it depends. Rule, you don't want to you don't want to waste your time ruling out people the long way that could really be ruled out. You know, Malcolm Gladwell blink style. 
Well, okay, here's where we get to my other big theory about dating. And this is like Pete Fenzel's – if any of you have heard Pete Fenzel's number one rule of first dates. Can any of you recite this from memory? Because I say it all the time. The number one rule this of first dates – This is different date, than the rule though. like we're not going to talk about Dragon Ball out tonight. You have a <laughs> no, 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 no. It's also not the Oregon Trail rule, which I'm not going to repeat on the podcast. <laughs> but uh, but the, the number one rule of first dates is do something that you're going to enjoy so that even if it doesn't blossom into a marriage, the night was still fun. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like yeah. go to a restaurant you like. Go to a bar that you like. The thing of that is missing from your calculus, Matt, is that dating is supposed to be fun in itself. It's supposed to be something you enjoy. It's not supposed to be a chore. If you're not enjoying the ride, like, I hate to break it to you. You, but like the destination is probably not going to be so satisfying that it like totally justifies all the time. Oh that yeah, you but I'm it. talking about I'm talking about a very specific kind of date, like a first date with someone you're kind of uncertain about, right? Like there's a sense of like there's a sense of like even as you're getting to know someone in the early stages of a relationship that uh, that a date a date can be fun, but you've already kind of pre-qualified the, the person as, in broad strokes, the kind of person I want to, uh, you know, I want to try to get to know. Uh, there, there are whole classes of people that I, that I don't want to get to know, and I, I pretty much know them when I see them. Not classes of well, people, as though not classes of people, as though they belong to, as though they belong to a group, uh, predictably. Because that's not. Are you talking about Asian girls? Do you not date Asian girls, oh Matt? That's not very. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know who else didn't date Asian girls? <laughs> Hitler. Hitler didn't date any Asian girls. No, he was no, no, no. He kept them. He kept them in his red cape. <laughs> in the, uh, you know, I don't know. In Bavaria. No, no, but I, I, you know what I'll say to that is that from experience, when you start, when you meet someone in real life, you kind of have to start over a little bit. Um, I don't know, Matt. Did you find this, Blinky? Did you find this the same way? That like, even if you liked somebody in the emails that went back and forth, you might actually meet them and like totally not get into them at all. And yeah, like, I mean, I, yeah. I I've had fantastic email exchanges with people that 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 to this day I could go back on and and. You know, become excited all over again with like how the the, the okay, crackling dude, energy. You know what? It's a family friendly podcast. <laughs> no, I, I, <laughs> I can read them later. Like, episodes of Sesame Street, you know, like that kind of. But but yeah, but then, I even, like you yeah. would, you'd go out on the date and it was just you couldn't recapture the the. You know, some people are just better off as pen pals. Do you yeah. remember, like, like the, the question day when is, which actually is more time pals, wasted, like with letters and paper? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I that would never happen again, right? I had a pen pal was- who was a girl that I went to camp with, and was never a. Uh, well, I mean, was never a girlfriend. We were just buddies, but we were like pen pal buddies. And then, like, pretty much, pretty much uh, in line with the rise of email, we stopped writing letters, and I, I don't know where she is now. Mm-hmm. I hope she's out there listening to this podcast, and you know, I don't know. Maybe on Match dot com. Yeah, right. Yeah. Well, looking, which is top? <laughs> looking, looking for friendship. That's another thing that annoys me a lot about online dating sites. You know what I mean? Looking for friendship. Yeah, that should be an option. I agree. Yeah, exactly. It's like the singles bar, it's right? Like, you shouldn't That's go. That's what friends Right. You shouldn't go onto the dating site if uh, <laughs> you shouldn't go into the singles bar if you don't want to, uh, you know, be socially interacting with total strangers about the possibility of uh, touching their junk. 
I feel like it's not a question the site should ask. More than it's not something that somebody shouldn't say. Because it's very possible that they're only putting that down because they don't want to give a direct answer. And they're just being evasive, which is like totally part of how dating works. Right? Is that like yeah, you try exactly, to like, right. pick your shots. You don't want to give away too much information. You don't want to seem desperate or any of those things. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, what I was going to ask before is like, which is time more wasted? Time that you spend honing down to the perfect online person to meet, and then you realize, holy crap, this person's totally different in real life than they were online, or like a bunch of time that you spend meeting a whole bunch of different people, most of whom like you don't get along with at all. That's a good, yeah, that's a good point, right? Like that, like you, even if it doesn't seem like it's going to work out in real life, you really should give it the benefit of the doubt because you don't know what it's going to be like in real yeah. life. Let me ask you, Malinky. I mean, I mean I'll, I'll come out with it first. My success rate on Mash.com in terms of like women I was actually interested in and wanted to date after I met them was probably close to like 20% tops, like maybe 10%. Like people – I met you in real life. After I've met you in real life, I feel like there's potential. Um, you know what I mean? Like mutual potential. Something is going to happen because of this. And I felt like I would go on like anywhere between 5 and 10 dates before I would meet anybody that I was in, interested in. You know what I mean? Or that, no, yeah. that's not true. Some of them I'd be interested in, they wouldn't be interested in me, or like something wouldn't work out, or we were like, we had totally different schedules and it just wasn't feasible. Like, you know, we just didn't end up calling each other. Like, my percentage was low enough that friends of mine who are just getting into online dating and who maybe haven't even gone on a lot of real life dating are terrified by it. It's like, you mean you get rejected nine times in real life after going through the whole process of talking to all of these people online? before you meet somebody you really like. And I'm like, yeah, and I've gotten a, bunch, a couple of really great relationships out of online dating. You know, because, yeah, but see, that doesn't know. surprise me at all. I don't think that one of the pluses of online dating is you get rejected less. You just get, it's, it's like I said, that it's just a question of you get to know a little about the person first and then see if there's any physical attraction or see if it works in person versus like meeting somebody in person first. And then, I mean, it, it, it's yeah. like, like that, that success rate uh, doesn't surprise me. And uh, I mean, that's why I'm a fan that like if you can set it up like the sort of five minute first date that like, you know, you either meet during your lunch hour, you meet after work and you lie and you say you have some place to be immediately after. Like I'm talking about like lying even before you meet the person, not if it doesn't go well, but like even if it does go well, you still only meet for 10 minutes. And then if it goes well, fine, you immediately set up like a real date. But like, you know, like like because 10 minutes is enough time to know if you want to go on a real date. It's also enough time to know that you're glad that you don't have to go on a real date. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely, definitely, definitely. I think that 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 sort of is – that's very advisable to be able to do that sort of thing. I mean it's – Oh, I mean, I also want to say, and in, in the face of saying all these things, that there is a danger, and this is something I, a pitfall I came into a lot, of like treating online dating like a video game where you try to win. Um, like you try to like go out on dates and meet people and like you, you churn through them very fast and like you, you, you sort of try to succeed with these individual people and totally lose touch with like what you want, what makes you happy, like who you want to be with, being with anybody at all. And you can get so focused on succeeding or failing on individual dates um, that like you totally lose sight of the role that this can or ought to play in your life. So I would advise people like who are getting into online dating, yes, like you have to try, 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 but like – also, don't lose the humanity in it. You know, it, the the losses should hurt. It's like Star Trek Five. Like you need your pain. If you're at the point where like you know it doesn't bother you anymore to like meet twenty people and have them all say no, and like you just don't care, then like maybe you need to take a break from online dating for a little bit and uh, and go do something else. But, yeah, but, but that, Pete, was, but that Pete, was the first Pete, time Pete, I've seen Star Trek Five in quite some time. Yeah, what would God <laughs> need with a starship? 
<laughs> God, that should not be your Match.com profile. <laughs> on, Starship. We got you the Starship. And with uh, and with that, we will uh, hang up our online dating profile gloves for the week. I don't know. We Sorry, have those was, gloves. Yeah, I know that was a terrible. That was a terrible. Metaphor. No, we should start selling uh, those gloves on the website. <laughs> but if you have a better metaphor, you should call us uh, at 20 eat log one That's 203-285-6401. Uh, email at podcastedoverthinkingit.com. Uh, leave comments on the show notes or use the contact form on the site. Next week we'll do, uh, we'll do listener feedback. So if you have anything you want to say, get it in under the wire, uh, before next weekend and we will probably feature it on the show. Uh, especially if you get your mother to call in. That was totally awesome when that, uh, when Gab got her mom to call the show. Uh, tell us your own online dating horror stories or not horror stories, you know, happy stories. Did we say death camps? We meant happy fun camps. And uh, as always, visit us on the web. At, um, that was a South Park joke, in case anyone thought it was... No, like an, I, I got it. Okay, good. Uh, Inglorious Bastards joke. But hey, don't put that on your online dating profile either. Uh, the the, the phrase death, death camp. camp. Yeah. <laughs> it's bad. I feel like we've been leading by negative example, or at least I have tonight. But you know what's a positive example? Anyone who visits www.overthinkingit.com, the site that subjects the popular culture to a level of scrutiny, it probably doesn't deserve. And a lot of the people on Craigslist are prostitutes.